Morning, church. Man, I'm glad that you guys are here today. What an honor and a privilege it is to be with you on a Sunday morning, the family of God, gathered in this place to celebrate our risen Savior together. Praise His name, lift Him up in praise and glory. Dig into the Word of God to see how we're called to live. It's just an honor to be with you this morning uh, as we bring in the idea of Advent. If you're a guest with us this morning, we want to say welcome. Thanks for joining us, having some time to be with us this morning. We hope you've seen Christ in our midst. Uh, but also, if you're looking for a church home, man, we'd love for you to think about making Cross Point that place you call home. To join us in telling the story of hope that is Jesus Christ, using your gift set to help us do just that right here in Grand Prairie in the metro, and around the world. We do have a great story to tell, don't we, church? That is, Jesus Christ sits on his throne in heaven. And because of that, you and I get to have joy and peace in our life, and we look forward to his second coming to take us home with him. I hope you got your Bibles this morning. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1, so please get those out. All of our text will be on the screen as well as we dig into Mark's gospel this morning in the second week of this series called Kingdom Come. And we're looking at each of the gospel accounts uh, to remind us how that, how that nativity unfolded. How did Advent truly happen? What does it mean for us that the story is absolutely true? We started out with Matthew last week, uh, learning how Joseph might have reacted and interacted in that story. Uh, and today we're going to dig into chapter 1 of Mark. You know, Advent simply means coming. It's this idea that we believe God came to earth in human form, called himself Jesus the Christ, and we believe that story. And we dig into that story this time of year. We don't actually know the day that Jesus was born, but we are grateful. We live in a world that sets aside time to look at that story and realize the truth of that story and what it means for you and for me. We see the manger. We can smell the hay. We see Mary and Joseph in their struggle, the angels that are ever present. And we see that really come out in Matthew and Luke. Now, Mark and John don't give us that picture, but there are still things we can glean from that birth story that remind us of how we're called to live. I mean, Mark doesn't give us that at all. Matter of fact, when Jesus hits the scene in Mark chapter 1, he's already an adult and entering ministry. You take a look at Mark chapter 1, and what do you not see there? There is no inn. There is no bright shining star. There is no manger. There are no shepherds. There are no angels. It's just Jesus in adult form on the scene. And so our story, as we begin to unpack it this morning, is to listen in to what John the Baptist is saying. How does he present that, that scene of the baby in a manger? How does he talk about Messiah? And what does that mean, not only to the people that he's talking to in the moment, but us some 2,000 years later, because we too can hear John's voice through the pages of history, calling us to be different people than the world around us, calling us to truly acknowledge and grasp the idea of a baby in a manger and what that Messiah means to you and to me. So let's begin reading this morning right away, Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way. 
He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. Now Mark uses an Old Testament prophet by the name of Isaiah. And when Isaiah writes these words, it's 700 years before John the Baptist or Jesus is ever born. Isaiah the prophet is reminding creation that there is a coming Messiah, that there is hope in the future. There is something to be realized in a baby who is placed in a manger. That you and I can gain new life because of this story. And last week we began to unpack how Mary received that, that information from an angel that she was indeed pregnant. She yet still a virgin. The work of the Holy Spirit through this whole picture, this whole process, as the story begins to unfold, how Joseph is called to stay with Mary. And eventually we learn in the story that Mary goes and stays with a cousin by the name of Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth is already six months pregnant with John the Baptist. And so we learn in the process that Jesus and John the Baptist are cousins. And both will rely on one another as Jesus kicks off his ministry from the major scene that we saw last week. Until now in Mark chapter 1, it's been 30 years. Jesus is now an adult. The long-awaited Messiah is now on the scene. But the 30 years pales in comparison to the thousands of years that have taken place since God's promise to Abraham that the Messiah would appear. And now... In his appearing, the fulfillment of God's long-awaited promise. We, we wait in our culture a lot. You may remember last week we talked a little bit about gifts under the tree. We're about a week further down the pike now. And maybe, maybe you remember this story from last week. And maybe you've even got more gifts under the tree. I'm hoping one has my name on it, but at any stretch. No doubt you've got maybe young children in the house, maybe grandchildren, and you've already wrapped some of those gifts and you've got them under the tree with their name written on top and they sit around and they try to guess and imagine what could that gift be. Is it from my list or is it just something random? They measure, they shake, they look at and and they desire to have it. They're experiencing what you and I as Christian followers are also experiencing, the already and the not yet. You see, they know the gift belongs to them. It is their gift. It's got their name on it, but it sits under the tree unwrapped. It's not quite mine yet, but I still know it belongs to me. And we, as we follow Jesus Christ, get to experience that same thing when the already and the not yet. That that, that you and I are living that waiting moment out. We know the Savior has come and we wait for his return and so we're caught in the middle. And you and I get to wait a lot, especially during the holiday season. Maybe you experienced some of that this weekend with the weather and the construction going on on the highway through our town. Maybe you've had to wait in traffic just a little bit. That red light that never seems to change, especially for you. You wait and you wait, and you're yelling at the guy in front of you to go, go, go. Maybe you bought some gifts and you waited at the counter because the line was fairly long. Maybe you waited in Chick-fil-A for the same moment in time. But we wait, 
Maybe for you, you you wait for the one, and maybe this is the holiday season where you're going to find Mr. or Mrs. Wright. But you've waited. Maybe you're waiting for that first child to come along in your own life, and for whatever reason, you're still waiting because it just hasn't happened yet. Remember when we lived in Stillwater, towards the end of our time there, my two boys were in middle school. And I remember one time specifically, uh, I had told Tanner, my oldest, that I was going to pick him up from school. We had an appointment or something, and I would be there. Don't get on the school bus. Don't walk home. I'm going to be there. Just wait. Now, he's the oldest child, so he's very compliant. He's a rule follower. And so I went through the course of my day. And suddenly it hit me. I'm an hour and a half late picking up my son. Yeah, I know. Bad parent, right? Coal in my stocking. I see Sandra's head nodding back there. So I jump in the car. I race to the middle school. Sure enough, there is Tanner all alone sitting on the curb with his backpack. He's just waiting. Now, he knew his dad was going to come. And true to form, his character, he gets in the car, and I'm apologetic, put my arm around him, and I'm so sorry. And he says, that's okay, Dad. I knew you were going to come. He's not complaining, no problems. But we wait on the gift in our walk. We wait for the second coming of that Messiah. We long for that moment because we're living in the middle, the already and the not yet. I mean, that's the biggest thing Christians do is we wait on God's story, not only to unfold in our life, but to see where that is moving for us. We have his spirit that lives within us. We have the hope of Jesus Christ living within us. I mean, Jesus Christ indeed came some 2,000 years ago, and he brought the kingdom with him. But we discover that we still have a physical address and a place where there is sin and heartache all around us. And we try to work through that. There are some of us here this morning who are experiencing job loss. We're wondering how we're going to pay the bills. How are we going to put gifts on the table, food on the table, gifts under the tree? We're experiencing that the series of chemo treatments because we got the prognosis of cancer. We, we feel the dissonance that we have with some family members and the tension that might exist, the failing loan capacity that keeps us at home and we're not able to get out like we used to. We're experiencing the loneliness that we may have because of of the divorce that occurred in our life that maybe we didn't even want. Maybe it's the loneliness from losing our best friend to death, and now we journey by ourselves. We we experience the, the relationship tension in our life with maybe grown children who are not making wise life choices, deciding not to speak to us, or maybe the tension exists with coworkers or other family members and friends, but you and I feel the heartache in this moment of waiting between the already and the not yet. You see, people are listening to John as he's talking about the promised Messiah. Little do they know that physically he is walking among them. God in the flesh, Emmanuel, he's right there interacting. John's message in Mark chapter 1 
helps those people better understand who the Messiah is and how they're called to live. But not only for the people of John's day, as we read through the text, we also better understand how it truly affects us in our own life. And so our story continues in verse 4. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. Clearly, they didn't have Chick-fil-A back then. And then John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It's a different prophet, a different Messiah, someone different sent from God. And so as we lean into the story of Advent and the coming of the Christ, we ask and look at our text, what is John asking these people to become? How are they going to be transformed? I mean, the answer is not only historical, but it's also relevant for each and every one of us this morning. You see, John's message helped the people of Jesus' day to better understand how God was calling them to live. And as we unpack, we also can ask that question, what can we do as we wait for the king's arrival? What is it we do in our life? How are we called to live as we follow this Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, Emmanuel? How are we called to be different people in the world in which we live? And John speaks to those people some 2,000 years ago and speaks to us today because we understand that we are a people who prepare the way for the Lord. We are people who live a life in such a way that we, we make ready for the Lord and his appearing. We want people to hear the story of the Christ in verses 1 and 2 in our text that we've already read. John told people about the Messiah. He pointed them to Jesus. He called them to live a transformed life, to be different in how they interacted, to live out the story of the Messiah in joyful, peaceful, loving ways as they interacted. I mean, what an incredible statement if those that we interact with could say the same about us, pointing to Jesus, telling the story, living a transformed life. I mean, how would people describe you in your workplace as it relates to Jesus? How would your friend group describe you? How would your neighborhood, how would the cashier at Walmart describe you? How would, how would folks around you in traffic relate your character and nature? Because you see, Paul in his letters, he reminds us that we're called to be the aroma of Jesus Christ. And he says in that same text, he says, for some, the aroma is beautiful. And for others, it's the smell of death. For those who would follow Jesus Christ, it smells like life. But for those who would turn away from the Messiah, it's the smell of death. 
call to be a pleasant aroma as we unfurl the Advent story all around us. 20 years in youth ministry, I did a lot of traveling, drove a lot of vans along the way. I was typically gone about 50% of any given summer over that 20-year period. Normally, I was one of the guys driving one of those vans. There were lots of long trips, and sometimes those trips lasted well into the night before we got to our destination. And so we had to come up with games to, to keep the driver awake. That might be important. That would be me. So one of these games that we came up with was called the Jelly Belly Game. And we would buy a mixed bag of jelly bellies. It was very dark outside, late at night. Nobody knew what was in the bag necessarily, but it worked like this. There was the driver and someone in the passenger seat, and then the front uh, seat had three people. We five would play the game. Everyone else was snoring. (laughs) We'd reach, it was your turn, reach into the bag, grab a jelly belly, chew on it for a moment, and then blow in everyone's face. And those that were not chewing had to guess what flavor the Jelly Belly was. I know, it sounds nasty. It's youth group, remember? We'd get that aroma. I don't know why. I always got the buttered popcorn one. I don't like that one. And see, you don't know what you're getting, and so there's a face that also goes with the... "Mm." We're called to be the aroma. The smell of Jesus. But we're called to be different than the world around us. Some of us have already been to the mall and gone to the, see if I can get this right, the White Barn Candle Company, right? You walk in, it's always full of people. The smells are everywhere. It's just coming at you from all angles. You take the lid off that candle and you smell and you wonder, who is going to get this one? Then you realize there's no sale, so it goes back on the shelf. (laughs) Bless you. We want to be the smell of Jesus with everyone that we come in contact with. We're called to be the aroma of Christ. And the question is, are you this season and beyond willing to be like Jesus? Do you smell like him? Let me encourage you this this holiday season to be creative. Yes, there are traditions that you have in your home, places you go with your friends, a certain type of coffee that you get this time of year. I know all of that. Don't change any of that, but maybe add a segment. Get creative with your kids and grandkids on how you tell the story. How do you tell them about Advent? Make it where they lean in and they want to know more. Give them all the details. But it reminds me also in this challenge that we as adults are equally challenged to know the story well. Not to just read it off the page, but know it by heart. Be that kind of person this holiday season. And there are lots of ways to tell the story. One great way is maybe, maybe you're not a great storyteller. December 23rd, we're having a candlelight service here, 4.30 to 5.30. It's a great opportunity to invite people. There are some professional cards that are out in the commons. Grab two or three of those. Give them to your coworkers, your neighbors on either side of your house or your apartment. Let them know, hey, come hear the story of Jesus. It's going to be a great time. It's your opportunity to tell the story. There's a guy by the name of Tom Rainer who's president of Lifeway. Lifeway publishes a lot of books, but they also do a lot of research for churches about growth and decline, 
ministry staff, all kinds of different things. And what they've discovered will be, will be no surprise to you. This time of year, people are open to being, being invited to a Christmas service, especially those, those candlelight services, the traditions that are typically part of that process. So my guess is the people that you have really built relationship with this year are going to be open to coming with you to hear the story of our Savior being born and what that means for them in their life. We're people who prepare the way of the Lord. But we're also people who practice repentance. We're called to be people who practice repentance in our life. Just like John called people to repent in his story, we too are called to practice repentance. John called the folks that were in his text in chapter 1, understand all of those people would have been very religious. They all came from Jerusalem and the surrounding area. They would have been involved in temple worship, going to their local synagogue, hearing their rabbi speak about God and all of the stories that follow. They would have been about following the law and being as upstanding and righteous as they possibly could. But John knew that there was a day coming when we needed a personal relationship with God, not just going through the motions. That we needed to be changed people. We needed to be something different than just religious. And you see, repentance isn't just a one-time event. Every single morning that we get out of bed, we put our feet on the floor. It's a moment for us to re-surrender to Jesus Christ. To say, God, I'm giving today up to you. I want to be your aroma. Show me where you want me to be. Tell me how your story is going to unfold today. I want to be your person today. It's a day to recommit. Each and every day is a call to repentance, to be changed, to be different There's a great story that illustrates this so well. In the book of Acts, we read about a character who actually wrote half of our New Testament. He started out, though, as a guy by the name of Saul. Saul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He he was a guy who leaned into the story of God, and he was going to protect Jerusalem, protect the temple, protect the Torah at all costs. Whatever it takes, I am zealous for God and I'm on fire for God. Nothing will stand in my way for fulfilling how God has enabled me. And he was a a guy that, that stood at the feet of others who threw stones and killed the first documented martyr for Christianity in the book of Acts. He went to the leaders in Jerusalem. He said, listen, the Christians have fled. Jerusalem, I need documentation to go make those arrests. And so they gave him that documentation. He gets on the road to Damascus. And as he's traveling on the road with some of his friends to arrest people who love Jesus Christ, who are telling his story like we are today, a bright light, so bright, knocked him down on the ground, blinded him. And in the moment, the voice from the light says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul replies, who are you, Lord? I find it interesting. He doesn't know who he is, but he knows he's greater than than Saul. He calls him Lord. And the voice comes back to say, it's Jesus Christ whom you persecute. The rest of the story, 
He gets up off the ground. His friends take him on to Damascus where he fasts and prays for three days in a room by himself until finally a follower of the way, a guy by the name of Ananias, comes to the room at God's request, lays hands on Saul, and lets him receive his sight back. He hears the story of Jesus one more time. He's baptized into Jesus Christ. Saul becomes Paul and writes half of our New Testament. He also spends the rest of his life planting churches around the Mediterranean rim, expressing his love and desire to follow his Lord, Jesus the Christ, who came as a baby but now reigns in heaven on high. The Messiah. He's changed. He's different. He's following the voice of God in the moment until finally he himself is arrested for being a Christian. He finds himself before the the governor in chapter 26, and he's retelling this whole story of how he came to find Jesus Christ and why he is a changed person. And in verse 20, he tells the governor, you see, when you truly are changed then your actions let everyone else know that. Paul says, my actions have been different because I'm truly transformed. The Holy Spirit lives in me. Jesus Christ lives in me. And I want to be everything he's called me to be. Even Jesus Christ reminds us of that in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, when he says, they'll know you by the way that you live and act. And so when we make a decision to smell like Jesus, the aroma of Christ, love and forgiveness, joy and peace is what we offer to all those around us, very different than what the world tends to offer, very self-centered. And so you and I are called to be lights in the world in which we live, this very dark world, so that when those see us, they see Jesus Christ and they begin to ask questions like, can I really have hope? Did this really happen? Do do I have someone with me my whole journey when I surrender to him? Is it a life that I can wrap my hands around? And church, here's the good news that we all can offer. While Jesus doesn't erase our past, he absolutely redeems it. And it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. Jesus Christ loves you and he forgives you. He wants to wrap his hands around you and journey with you in the moment. Whatever you've done in your past, he welcomes you to the table. He puts his arm around you and he will use your story for his glory so that he is lifted up. What a beautiful story we have to tell, church. Because what we know at the end of the day that we are also people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. His spirit lives within each and every one of us. And John is telling all of those that Jesus has come. He's brought his kingdom with him, and he's also brought his Holy Spirit. Think of it like this. In the Old Testament, God is for us. In the New Testament, God is with us. And today, because of the Holy Spirit, God is in us. I mean, church, what a story we have to tell. We should be pumped and excited about telling that Advent story to a world that is absolutely in darkness and lost. You and I are called to be lights on the hill. God has poured his Holy Spirit into us to be his representation on earth. We are 
committed to telling that story. And when you commit to following Jesus Christ, he commits to you. Just like Greg revealed in his communion thoughts. When we commit to Jesus Christ, he commits to us. He says he'll never leave you. He'll never walk away from you. He will be with you forever. When you make a decision to be a part of his story. And so today we anticipate Advent. Oh, when, when the Messiah came, they wanted to put him on a throne. Not on a pile of hay. But that's the way God chose to come. To be born as a defenseless small baby. Who was laid in a manger and eventually would live a life that we could follow an example of. End up on a cross, die for each and every one of us, but then be raised to life three days later. And now he lives in heaven above, sitting on his throne, an absolute conqueror. And you and I get to live out that story each and every day. And so the challenge for me and you this morning is that we also would enter the story of God. That, that you and I would lay claim to what is truly ours because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We are people who are called to prepare the way of the Lord. We are people who are called to live a transformed life each and every day that we begin anew. We are people who have the Holy Spirit living within us. We have a terrific story to tell. And John calls us all to be those people who retell the story each and every day. Our shepherds, as we sing this song, and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And as we sing this song, my guess is there are probably some in here that are, are struggling in this moment. Maybe you've got some difficulties going on. Maybe you have a relationship tension. Whatever might be happening, I want to encourage you as we sing this song, find one of our shepherd couples. Let them pray over you. Let them pray for you. Let them remind you that you are not in this thing alone. You not only have Jesus Christ with you, but you've got this church family with you as well. And this morning, uh, in between services, we had two baptisms. That's right. And maybe this holiday season, you're thinking, you know, it's time that I stopped waiting on that. That it's time for me to publicly say, Jesus Christ is my Lord. Put him on in baptism to be raised a brand new creation. Today is your day to do that. I hope that you'll think about it. Let's stand and praise his name together.